Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and today we have a wonderful show planned for you. Before I get started, I just wanted to uh, wish my father, Bert, his uh, 96th birthday today. And this was a book that I had written about his life last year, and if you want it, it's available on Amazon. You can go read all about his extraordinary life. Um, but so, happy birthday, Dad. <laughs> I haven't been, we missed two birthdays because of COVID. It's horrible. He lives in Mexico. So I'm really, you know, hoping to be able to see him really soon. But on, on with our show. Here we go. Um, with us today, you know, Brent, the guy with, with the big beard. <laughs> he's, a, he's a good Radio Network's uh, movie critic. Uh, but also with us is a lovely lady is Marsha Ross. She's been a casting director for over 40 years. She's launched the careers of many notables, including Heath Ledger, Anne Hathaway, Chris Pine, Rachel McAdams, another Canadian, Paul Rudd, Amy Poehler, to name a few. Some of her credits include Clueless, 10 Things I Hate About You, 30-something Princess Diaries. She's also been the executive vice president of Walt Disney for over 16 years. She is Mar uh, Marsha, <laughs> she is, Marsha is Jeff's wife and partner in Floating World Pictures, or as a documentary film producer she has produced such documentaries as Terence McNally Every Act of Life The State of Marriage Father Joseph The Savoy King Chick Webb and the music that changed America and her most recent film is Nazarene Jeff Kaufman next to her is an American film producer director writer illustrator whose cartoons have even made it into the New Yorker and his illustrations into the LA Times he is a former radio host himself but he's most known for his documentaries which he has produced written and directed some of which include Every Act of life, the state of marriage, Father Joseph, the Savoy King, Chick, Chick Webb and the music that changed America, Brushed with Life, the art of being Edward Bieberman and education under fire. Of course, today we're going to be talking about his latest film, Nazarene. So I'm going to just give you a very quick high-level overview. Um, we're going to be speaking in depth today about Nazarene Satude. She is an Iranian lawyer, a human rights activist, a wife, a mother, who in 2018 was sentenced to 38 years in prison. Uh, 148 lashes because of her work defending women's rights. In 2020, she was one of the recipients of the 2020 Right Livelihood Award, widely known as the Alternative Nobel Peace Prize uh, for promoting political freedom and the rule of law in Iran. So welcome, everybody. So, so great to have you here. Thank you for the great introduction. Can we just start by saying happy birthday to Bert? Thank uh, you. Thank yeah, you. That's, that's a good milestone. Many more to come. You know, when I was a little girl, I said, Daddy promised me he lived to be 100. <laughs> so he's doing, he's doing good on that promise. Wow, he's getting there. I hope he kept all his promises. He did keep all his promises. That's why it's so hard to find a guy, you know, a really good guy. <laughs> Marsha, you can relate, right? <laughs> Believe me, I didn't, I didn't meet him until late in life. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's sometimes what it takes. Yeah. I, I know that Brent has a great, he's got a great partner too. Okay. Um, so here we are. We're going to talk about this amazing film that you guys made and you were never in the country, which is astounding. 
how, yeah. how, how did Nazreen come about? Social activist from, for a long time, I know, but. Well, yeah, I mean, usually when we make documentaries, you know, it's a very immersive process where you're there with the subject. And like we did this film about Haiti and we were in the mountains of Haiti for months. And, uh, you know, that's a very personal experience that you feel in your bones. Uh, but I'd done a whole bunch of documentaries about Iran and a number of films about human rights with Amnesty International. And it just wasn't possible to go to Iran without getting arrested. Um, and also, you know, if American crew showed up in uh, Tehran to walk alongside Nazarene Sud today, we wouldn't have had the access that we have in this film. I think when you see the film, you realize that thanks to you know, these really remarkable filmmakers that we worked with, the access is something you've just never seen before. Uh, you know, Nazarene Sudeh is someone the government is looking at all the time, and yet we're able to follow her and her family, you know, not just to protest and not just to working with clients whose lives are at stake, but, um, you know, into bookstores and into uh, a, a, an art gallery that looks like you're in Greenwich Village and to the theater, uh, you know, to all aspects of life. And a, a favorite moment for Marsha and me, when Nazarene just is waiting outside for her son to come home from school, then they walk home hand in hand down the street. Uh, so that would not have happened if it wasn't for these remarkable crews that we worked with um, who put themselves at some risk, just like everyone else in the film, to make it come alive. Can I, can I just add one thing to that, which is that when, when Jeff made Education Under Fire, which uh, was a film that it was about the persecution of the Baha'i faith in Iran, which is how he first came across Nazreen, because she, as a Muslim woman, was defending her you know, Baha'i clients, and, and he was very taken with that. You know, he, he found a way at that time, you know, to work with filmmakers, you know, far away. So, he, you know, he understood how we could do this, you know, so it was, you know, it was a combination of a lot of different things. I mean, you know, we, we knew what we were trying to get, and a lot of times, of course, and we'll talk about that later, you know, the marvelous mystery of what turned up, particularly because we didn't speak Farsi. So it was a very, you know, really wonderful process of making the film that way, too. You want to say something, Brent? Yeah, I, you know, you said you had trouble with uh, obviously being able to get into Iran to do the work. Did you have any problems with getting the film out of Iran as a consequence? Yeah, I really can't talk about the process of getting it out, but uh, it wasn't the same every single time and it was convoluted. And because, you know, I mean, halfway through working with Nazarene, she was arrested and not because she was doing the film, but because, you know, this is while we were filming this uh, major women's rights movement broke out in Iran uh, called the Girls of Revolution Street. Revolution Street um, is, is, a, is a street in Iran where uh, a number of women uh, stood on electrical utility box and took off their hijabs. And just that act of doing that in public can send you to prison for 10 or more years. Mm -hmm. They put their hijabs on a stick and then stood on this block box and sometimes had a friend videotape them and wave the stick like a flag. You know, it's just an extraordinary act of courage. And it's a, 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 an action that took off across the country. And as you see in the film, like there's, you know, mothers holding babies and there's this old lady who must be in her eighties who stands up on, on, a, on a flower planter in a busy street. And, and think of all the history that's gone on in her life. And she takes off a hijab and waves it on her cane. Uh, just a remarkable uh, uh, experience and a remarkable social movement. And Nazarene became the lead spokesperson and lawyer for that movement and was arrested for that and for other things while we were filming. So uh, because she was all of a sudden locked away, besides the tragedy of it, which we feel every single day, um, 
some of the stuff that we had shot had disappeared. And, uh, and we knew that it was there, we couldn't find it. Um, and then uh, months, months later, we were able to find out where it was and get it out. And, uh, but that just is not the typical process of, of shooting a documentary. But again, it all goes to show uh, what's at stake for these people and the kind of walls we're trying to break through. It's extraordinary. And, and you know, a couple of years ago, I, I interviewed uh, Marina Nemet. She, she wrote Prisoner of Tehran. So she was also in Evan pr prison. Horrible, horrible place to be. Nobody ever wants to be there. Um, mm -hmm. And, and she explained how, you know, Iran, it is a beautiful country and it's not always this way. You know, there was times of freedom and then the Ayatollah came and everything got very strict again. And so, you know, it's hard to go from being able to wear your hair and your makeup and everything. Now you got to be all hidden again and then, you know, it comes off, it comes on. It, it's a really difficult way to live. But what I really- I just amend that if I could just like, there were times of relative freedom. Mm. So um, there were more freedoms for women under the Shah but uh, the Shah was also a brutal dictator who imprisoned and tortured his perceived enemies as well. Oh, yeah. Like, so their rights, yeah. Is a, we yeah. don't want to idealize those times, but certainly in contrast, and especially for women, uh, it's, it's a brutal time now. Yeah. You know, also, you just brought something up about it being a beautiful country. I mean, one of the things, a couple of things, you know, one of the things we really wanted to do was portray the rich, you know, history and culture of Iran. It's, it's a beautiful country. And I think, you know, Jeff and I did travel around the world and do a lot of interviews in person. We just, we couldn't go to Iran, but we interviewed other people. And I think in addition to sort of this, you know, the storytelling, how important the interviews were, we got a lot out of it in different ways. I mean, for me personally, you know, meeting people who live in exile, who could never return to a country that they loved and, and a beautiful country and where they had family that they could never really see in person again or worried about, you know, because if they did anything, something bad could happen to them. You know, this was very, very, very meaningful. And, and also we felt that, you know, so often with governments, you know, we only, what we read in the newspaper is all we know. And usually that's just what's reported government to government. You have no sense of the real people that's true. that live there and the day-to-day -day lives. And, and really we, it, we all share, as I like to say, a common humanity. And it was very important for us to, to capture that universality between people to people, not just government to government. You know, Nazreen, you know, is, is a very, She's got this beautiful light about her and, and she just seems like a very calm, peaceful person who's, you know, social impact, you know, her, her want to fight. She's so courageous and she's just so steadfast and, and she's got the most beautiful, loving husband and children. And it's amazing. And her husband, you know, is an activist too, but just off she goes. And, and, and it was so poignant for me to see her children grow up and hear like, her daughter's what 19 now and she just looks so like such a young woman and she missed a lot of her mom like there was she missed so much of her life and, and yet I think they were okay with that the letters that went back and forth you know kind of showed that she appreciate they both appreciated one another ability to stay steadfast and, and fight the good fight you know sometimes social activists uh politicians people in the arts um they're so driven to do their work that they leave behind the human element in their lives. Even if their work is about the human element, they can't apply it to themselves. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so striking for Marsha and me is um, you know, just what good parents and what good people Reza and Nesrin are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's fuel for their work, but um, you know, it's more rare than, than you, you'd think. Uh, and uh, it's just lovely to see what uh, 
you know, good, caring people uh, their daughter Mariva and their son Nima uh, are. But you also have to realize that um, then because Nazarene loves her kids so much, the sacrifice of being separated from them yeah. is just horrendous. But it it's a sacrifice she feels she has to make. What caught your attention? Sorry, Marsha, I just- No, I'm just saying he's a tremendous support system for her too. Yes, he's yeah. an activist in his own right and very dedicated to the same causes that she is. And you know, that, that's one of the things we just love about them. You, you know, the, this sort of, you know, he's very comfortable, you know, being married to this dynamic, charismatic woman and, and at the same time, in, and confident in his own role. And I, I love that about him. I, I, I nickname him our Marty Ginsburg, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had this wonderfully supportive and accomplished husband. And he really believed in her career and, and encouraged her, you know, to get out there. And that, that you know, that's, that's what Reza does. Is he a unicorn? I mean, in that country, is he a unicorn? A husband? Wait, what does that mean? I, don't... I know what she means. Well, you know, a rare kind of a man that, no. You know, he would say no, because he's asked that, because he's such an incredible human being and people just assume, well, there must not be a lot of men like that in Iran, but there are other men like that in Iran. I, I mean, you know, he might be a unicorn on the planet as a, an incredible husband, yeah. but as a man in Iran, I think, you know, he does represent that there are plenty of men there who really believe, you know, in the work and support their their wives, you know, in, in this work. Uh, and, and as you'll see in the film, you know, you'll see at all these protests, if you when you watch the film as much as we do, the, uh, you know, the same men are always out there supporting the work and out there with the protest signs. So, you know, he, he's not alone in his belief in what his wife is doing. I just impressed, you know the phrase, he's a unicorn. I didn't know what that meant. So. <laughs> now you do. Am I a unicorn? Yes. Yeah, I'd be happy to be just a, a scruffy little puppy, but that's fine. <laughs> well, you know, when we think of when we think of um, countries like Iran, and you think of the Ayatollah, and you think of you know stoning women to death, and and all the horrible things that you hear, and even imprisoning them with 138, 48 lashes or whatever, you think it's a misogynist country. You know, women are are kind of like nothing, and well, and well, that's the perceived thought, right? Um, for us here in the West who don't really know anything except what we hear, what we read about from other women. And, and so that's why the, you know, I said, is he a unicorn? Because it, it does seem a little rare to me to have a man like that. Let me just share one little um, connection to that. Uh, in the year 2000, the Violence Against Women Act was uh, reauthorized uh, in the United States Senate and House. And in the House, um, it got like 416 votes uh, for it and three votes against it. This year, they're trying to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act again, and something like 175 Republicans voted against it. So, you know, um, we tend to, there tends to be this demonization of other countries, especially one of the things we tried to fight in this, in this film was a demonization, as Marshall was saying, of the people of Iran. Right. Right. But first of all, this country, our country, every country has its own issues to strongly look at. Uh, and God knows, I mean, the, 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 um, you know, the discrimination against women financially and personally and, and, and physically in, in America, in this country, uh, is horrendous. Um, and I have to go off topic for one second. What do you mean that the Republicans voted against? They, what did they vote for then? They voted against reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act. The Violence Against Women Act uh, is supposed to protect women against various forms of physical and emotional. And they didn't think that was a good idea. 
and, okay, just, and, just one more reason to hate the Republicans now. <laughs> well, we won't use the word hate. Well, uh, I do, but, but you know, I, I can't blame you. I'm just not going to use the word. Yeah, you don't have to uh, use the word. You don't. Use yeah, uh, but it, it just goes to show the battles we have to fight here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, one of our goals in the, in the film for Marsha and me was to fight this sort of uh, ignorance and demonization of the people of Iran. Yeah. And the people are separate from the regime. And so as Marsha was saying, with, with Reza, there are many wonderful men uh, who are very supportive of women's rights. One of the uh, people in the film who we just mentioned briefly is this guy named Dr. Uh, Farhad Mezameh, who is a doctor and a publisher and a great friend of Nazreen and Reza's. And he got arrested for wearing a pin that said, I oppose the mandatory hijab. And he's in Naveen prison now because of that. So there are many allies that uh, we also need to acknowledge. You know, early on when we were working on the film, I, I had a conversation with someone and she said something so interesting because I was, you know, a lot of the things you're talking about, you know, there's questions that I have myself, you know, because I've led a very free life here for, mm -hmm. you know, my life. And it's interesting because what she said, and I think it's really true, is that you know the, a lot of the oppression of the women is this, this is the way the government actually also controls men. You know, they empower men to have this horrendous control over the women in their lives, and this is and this gives the government this other control over them. And so it's a it's a it's a really manipulative thing. And I guess, you know, a lot of men are very susceptible and we see it to wanting to have power over women or power over anything, you know, any kind of power. power. And that's a very universal thing in all cultures and in yeah. all ways, this desire for people to feel superior, have power over other people, making them feel empowered themselves. Yeah, there's a phrase for it called othering. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you always want to hate the other. It makes you feel like you're special. Brent, did you, I think you want to say something. Well, I, I want to, uh, I've heard that, for example, the uh, were it not for the government in Iran, if you ask the actual population of the country, that they're probably one of the most westernized or westernized oriented countries in the region. Is that is that what you found through your work? Um, yes, I mean, is, you know, westernized is is a complicated phrase in that um, you know they have their own rich culture and uh, we shouldn't assume that they're going to automatically always be you know uh, American but uh, there is a lot of uh, interest in American culture and American people and and sort of an innate uh, support for those values um, and therefore a lot of commonality if we can break through uh, the government's not wanting to connect with each other and also by the way you know a really difficult past. Well, yeah, but also, I mean, the women there are so well-educated. I mean, more yeah. women are yeah. college-educated there than men. So, yeah, I mean, they are, they are, you know, they know, you know, and they're, it's really unfortunate because they, you know, they can't hold the same jobs and do the same things. And yet, you know, they're far more educated than the men in many ways. Well, and I had also heard that a significant uh, portion of the Iranian population is quite young and that they're, you know, craving to see a lot of these changes implemented that have been enforced upon them that they just don't agree with anymore. Yeah, and Brent, you know, because uh, you're uh, a movie historian, that Iran has a very rich uh, uh, cinematic history. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, very vibrant. Um, you know, and there's so many things that we can gain from each other, uh, again, if we just, Find, find ways to connect. You know, Nazreen actually talks about this actually twice in the film, you know, and uh, about this issue that there are so many young people 
and how much you know she she they're not happy. I mean, she does mention this, and certainly she is a real role model for so many young women who have who are protesting and taking risks. Because I mean, at a certain point, what do you have left? You know, I think. The world has changed so much with the internet, obviously, and mm -hmm. everybody sees what's going on around the world. And so, you know, it gets harder and harder for governments to have such control over people. And eventually, you know, who knows what's, what's going to happen. It's unfortunate, but it's a tendency to crack down harder, you know, as opposed to give more freedoms because, you know, because they don't want to give up their power. They don't want to give up their control. They don't want to give up the fact that they control all the resources. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Nazreen does, you know, talk about is, she does everything within the letter of the law. She's not going, she's not an outlaw, you know, she's an in-law. And, and, and so yet here she finds herself in, in prison. I mean, she's a lawyer. Lawyers are supposed to protect people. They take clients, whether they agree with them or they don't agree with them. She happens to agree with them. However, you know, I mean, she fights within the law. The law is written by the land. And so, you know, for her to be imprisoned is kind of, it is unfair in a way if you're fighting within the law. So, you know, it's like, there's a law, but then there's my law. Yeah. <laughs> right, and lots of lawyers are in prison there. You yeah. Know, she does. I mean, that's what's really so remarkable about her. You know, she she has tremendous respect for the law. I mean, you know, in the movie, you see like the scales of justice every, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Buying principle in her life. And, um, you know, when the courts there, are, you know, I mean, they're not rational, you know, they just decide what they feel like on that day of about what's good for them. They don't re really adhere or follow the kind of law that we have to in some ways follow here. You know, I often think about, you know, the last election and, you know, our courts, you know, our judicial system, our legal system, you know, stepped up and the courts held up, you yeah, know, yeah. tremendous pressure. It could have gone either way, either way. And, and in Iran, you know, that's not the case. The courts are part of the government and they get to decide the outcome of everything. It doesn't matter what, you know, what the laws say or the people want. But I, I, I think it's a very subtle point and I love the fact that Nazarene deeply loves the law. Yeah. Uh, she won an award last year in December uh, from the American Bar Association, the Eleanor Roosevelt Award. Nice. And um, she was out on temporary medical leave as she is right now. And she was able to record uh, a statement for it. And at the end of it, she says, you know, despite everything I've been through, I, I love being a lawyer. And the way she says it is just beautiful. And uh, again, I think other countries see the assault on the respect for the law. And a lot, of course, the law can be whatever you make it. Uh, but um, but I just her belief in the law, not you know violent revolution, not another country coming in and taking over, right. does a lot, and and um, and that's why I think she's such a good uh, role model for the future for that country. Does she have those lashes? No, not yet. thank God. Yeah, but you know what happened? One of the things that happened was she was on a long hunger strike. Yes, uh, thirty-eight days or something, wasn't it? Forty-seven days. Uh, 46, 47 days, and demanding that uh, political prisoners who were in these COVID-infested prisons be released uh, to their homes so they would not get sick. And as punishment, uh, one day the authorities said, oh, we're going to take you to the hospital so you get some treatment. She was in a being prison. And they put her in a car um, and had her uh, and drove her off, and she thought she was going to a hospital. Instead, they drove her out of town to a place called Garchak Prison. Uh, a women's prison uh, about 90 minutes outside of Tehran, which has a reputation for being the most physically foul prison in the country. And within a week, she got COVID. 
Oh, wow. So, you know, um, she didn't have lashes, but they kind of made her get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's disgusting. Uh, I just feel for she's 58 years old, isn't she? Mm -hmm. 58. Yeah. I mean, just imagine she's like, you know, close to our age and, and she's going through this horrific event and because of, you know, her, her value system, it's, it's absolutely incredible. She's the most courageous woman, really absolutely astounding. And, you know, uh, she just really so interesting about her, too, because it's, she never wants it to be about herself either. I mean, everything she does is about others. You know, when we first approached her about doing the film, she, you know, and, and asked her if she, what she thought about doing it. I mean, she said, if it, it, does, it can't just be about me. You know, it has to be about the others and all the other people that have worked so hard, you know, and everything she's done. I mean, since she's been in prison, you know, the first short hunger strike she went on was because she had an elderly woman who was her cellmate and she wanted that woman out because of COVID. And others like her. Yeah, right. no, but another's like her. Well, that was the first time. Yeah. But then the second time, you Bless know, her. which went on and on and on, it was because of the health conditions, you know, and, and and she, you know, I mean, we were worried every second she was going to die. It was so scary. But she did manage to focus a world attention, you know, on the prison system, you know, and the COVID and the health conditions. She did that with the fast. Everyone was writing about it. And then she was able to sort of, you know, they obviously it would have been a horrible thing if she died and they, she stopped. But at, not after, you know, she made her point and some things changed. Yeah. So is there... Do you think there's a way that, that the world, you know, can get her out? Well, first of all, let me just, uh, for those who don't really know Nazarene and haven't seen the film yet, I guess I should, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't say that you can find out more about Nazarene and also how to see the film in countries around the world by going to the website, www.nazarenefilm.com, nazarenefilm.com. And there's this easy link. So whatever country you're in, you can see it. Um, and Nazarene and her husband would be the first to say that seeing the film is a really essential part of activism yes. on behalf of her and others. Uh, but just, you know, one of the things that, that I love about Nazarene is, and one of the reasons we wanted to make the film is because she's a Muslim woman. She was raised by a conservative family, a conservative family who loved her and believed in, in empowering women. Uh, but she, someone who has reached out beyond herself to support others. Marsh and I did a film that um, involved John Lewis, the great American civil rights icon. And one of the things I love about John Lewis is that he took his struggle for civil rights and realized that it was universal. So he applied it to being this wonderful supporter of women's rights and a wonderful supporter of LGBTQ rights. And Nazarene is a lot like that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she um, has been this great champion of religious minorities in Iran, where others are just terrified to do that. And, and, and for ethnic minorities in Iran, like, uh, you know, like Kurds, uh, uh, um, she supported Zoroastrians, the Baha'i community. And then of course, also for women and children and fighting against the death penalty. Uh, she's just someone who isn't just interested in supporting a, a narrow base uh, for, but, but really realizing that, as Marsha was saying, this common humanity that we all have. And that's why we felt really that she's such a universal um, figure, role, you know, not yeah. just for, but for America as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as far as being able to get her out, um, public pressure has made a difference. Um, you know, um, there's a, a couple of petitions on our website, one from Amnesty International, one from Pan America that we urge people to sign. Yes. And uh, again, um, families of political prisoners will say that uh, shining a light is the uh, most effective tool they have, that even repressive regimes don't want to be publicly shamed. 
and so the more voices that come together that demand Nazarene's freedom and others, the more difference it'll make. It really does give them some protection. What kind of hope did, did making this film give to those who helped you in, you know, film it? Well, you know, it's interesting you say, you say that because, uh, you know, when we were making the film, pretty much it was just the two of us. Um, you know, we really kept things really under wraps for a long time because although, you know, we were really concerned about Nazarene's, uh, you know, well-being mm -hmm. and we didn't want anything to happen. And we asked her repeatedly, you know, are you sure, are you sure? And even when we finally finished the film, um, we were, you know, are you edited and everything, you know, we asked, and you know, are you sure? Because we didn't want anything to potentially endanger her or anybody else. And she was, you know, fine. No, you know, she was fine. And we didn't even, we raised money very privately. We didn't go for- Yeah, you couldn't even fundraise publicly. You know, we didn't, we didn't. I mean, until the film really had its official premiere in October in Boston, we did not make any public noise about the film. And once we did that, it, you know, it was such interesting, the feedback we got, particularly for us, you know, from the Iranian community, it's been actually extraordinary how many people we've heard from and how many wonderful new friends that we've really made have been incredible friends to us and the project and the impact campaign that we've been doing around the world. The, um, you know, how much it's meant to them to see their country portrayed this way. And that two Americans, you know, not of Iranian descent are showing their, their country that they love in this actual light and in this way and in this really also not, you know, sort of balanced way and also out of, you know, a real respect for these activists. So that, that I have to say, I think more than anything else, uh, that, that has been it, it just very moving to me. And I mean, it's meant really everything to me. And, I, and our American friends who, you know, who don't know anything about Nazarene, you know, they've really been introduced to her and we've heard about so many people and they now they feel so emotionally involved in what's happening with her. And, you know, th they had no idea. I mean, many people didn't really have anything, any idea like that it's Snowden, you know, yeah. Iran or, you know, people, oh, there's the Apple store or people did the iPad, you know, people just don't know those things. I didn't, I mean, I knew very little about right. Iran except maybe like Cyrus the Great and, yeah. you know, certain other things, you know. Yeah. Brent, did you want to say anything? Yeah, I mean, one of the other things that really impressed me about this was what kind of respect that she gets from people who you wouldn't necessarily think right offhand would be the ones to be supportive of it. And uh, the case in the movie where she's meeting with the woman who was arrested for not wearing the hijab in public, uh, you had talked about her coming from a very traditional family background. And yet they were willing to come forward and say, yes, we're supporting not only our daughter, but also her advocate in this particular case. And that speaks a lot to the credibility that she's got in a place where she's getting respect from places where you wouldn't think it would come from. Yes, it's like Bert, it's good to have good parents. Yep. Um, <laughs> but you're right, I mean, you know, it's, it's so easy to sort of have this view of another country, you know, you get a story in, in the newspaper and a headline and it's all kind of abstract and distant. And then you realize that every country is made up of, of real people and uh, someone like Nargis Haseni, the young woman you talked about who took off her hijab and uh, faced 10 years in prison for doing that, you know, she, she came from a conservative family like Nazarene, but they loved her and supported her and they were there for her. Um, and I hope that just that little tiny piece will make people realize, oh, Iran, I, I don't really know that country, you know, but 
there are good people there. Let's let's get to know it better. It's a doorway into something. Yeah. There's good people everywhere. I mean, that that's the whole thing. We right. tend to yeah. forget and, that. And of course, bad people everywhere too. <laughs> We've met also, you know, a number of women. I mean, Republicans. <laughs> and, and men and women since, you know, who are living in, in Canada and the United States who were arrested and she represented them. And oh, they yeah. got out of the country. And it's really incredible to hear what they have to say about her because they credit her so much with, you know, helping them get out, you know, helping them get out of prison. Brent, can I ask Brent a question and you, you sure. too as well? Um, I don't know if you saw it recently, but uh, recently Jafar Panahi released this powerful video statement about Nazreen. And if you haven't seen it, I, I don't know if it's on our website, but I was thinking while we were talking, we should make sure it's there, but I'll send you a link so you can okay. see it. Great. Um, and uh, uh, I loved his comments in the movie that he was saying about her too. And that was what I was going to ask you. What did you think about, uh, you, you know his work and how important he is. What did you think about that sequence of Nazarene and, and Panahi together? Oh, I thought that was great. I thought that was wonderful. It was, you know, it, it reminded me of, uh, you know, some of the American films where you see um, uh, cameos, say, by politicians and so forth. You know, but just uh, the fact that she made the appearance. And, and you could see, again, through that particular example, as you saw through many examples in your film, just the warmth and the compassion and the humanity that she brings to her everyday life and how that then translates into her work as well. I mean, I think that's, that's so important. You know, there've been a number of times over the years where I've watched various documentaries about activists in different countries and it always shows them diligently going about their work, but it always is focused just on the work. And that's certainly fine, but there's a person behind that work in each of these cases. And the thing that I liked about your film is the fact that that came forward and you got to see why that's why she is the way she is. Yeah, I particularly loved, you know, when she, all the cards that she would get from around the world. And she said, you know, these really help sustain her. And then she framed them and put them around her office, some of them, the ones that were really special to her. She is an artist and she is a poet and, and simple things make her happy. And, and that's really, you know, she's really just a beautiful person, really. The first time Marcia and I met, uh, which was while, um, not that long ago, um, 2012, uh, was uh, one of the things we talked about besides our mutual love of Japanese art and documentaries was certain filmmakers like Hal Ashby um, who, and Michael Ritchie, uh, who uh, had this documentary background uh, that they also brought into the narrative world. And I love like old movies like uh, Howard Hawks and John Ford with all these, you know, uh, characters, actors who, who have these rich moments. Uh, and Marsh is one of the great casting directors yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that love of narrative films where even smaller characters have that moment that sparks and you feel like they're a real person um, and some uh, understanding of narrative uh, within the rules of a good documentary is something that's very important to both of us. Yeah, having, you know, I mean, when you can't, people say, you know, what makes a movie star? Everybody wants to know. And really it, it's, it's something very simple, really. And it's called having a compelling quality. People want to watch you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, there are many great actors who are movie stars, but in the end, you can be the greatest actor and not be compelling to watch on film. And, or you can be an actor that's at the beginning of the career, many people, become much better actors over time. But what you can't really teach somebody, no matter how good they are, is to have that compelling quality that you just can't, you have to watch them. And so, um, you know, and, and I think Nazreen has that. And yeah, you do. 
that was important to us. We wanted to capture that. And, you know, that's, that, that comes from so much more than what a person says. You know, it's, it's something inside somebody that really Agreed. Kind of, you know, makes yeah. a person compelling. Yeah, she definitely is compelling. But you brought up Japanese art. So let's just take a second out from Nazarene for a moment and talk about Floating World, the significance of Floating World. Oh, you got the reference. <laughs> well, let's explain to, to your listeners. So, yeah, I mean, I, I find uh, Japanese woodblock prints, uh, Hokusai Hiroshigi, uh, there's a second generation, an early generation, uh, just so incredibly beautiful. And when Marsh and I met, uh, you know, one of those weird things in life where she also loves Japanese art, but prior to her, uh, to, to, to meeting Marsha, I formed my little documentary production company and I wanted to have a title. And I, I thought of either this Duke Ellington song I love called uh, Blue Jam, uh, Sea Jam Blues. Uh, and then I also thought of Floating World and I thought that's kind of perfect. Uh, and Floating World Pictures is Japanese woodblock prints. And it was this movement that, of, of art that was actually made for the common person. So you could have a print in your little home and afford it. Um, and, uh, and it was also very much about the, mo the moment and there was a Buddhist element. Anyway, what can I say? Um, uh, it's called Yukio in Japanese, which translates to floating road pictures. And so we stole that name. Well, you took it, but I, but I, accept, <laughs> but I said, she's I not a thief. Marcia's not a thief. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I actually, you know, I actually, I went to Northwestern actually, and I, I was in the theater department there, but it, it, you know, you had to take freshman English, but you could do these electives. And I took a class on the history of impressionism because I always, you know, was really interested in it. And one of the things the teacher talked about was Japanese woodblock print art and, and how, you know, the, the, the French impressionists were deeply influenced, you know, by the, well, at that time it was the, the uh, you know, Japoneism where they were all, you know, Japan had opened and this art was coming out and there's this sort of the juxtaposition of the colors, which is very impressionistic, but it's also the woodblock print and also these depictions of, of daily life and the theater and, you know, and, and, um, and so I, I got very, very interested in that um, then. And so I'd always been, I had all these books and everything, you know, when we met, it was so strange. because It was, it was so kismet. And we finally, in 2019, we went to Japan finally. You know, we were talking about it. We'd never been. And it was like, this is the year, you know, we planned the trip for a year. Thank God we got back. We got yeah. back in October of 2019. We, we'd gone any later, we could never have gone. That's but right. It was, Pretty remarkable to be there. But there's something actually really significant about that connection too, which is that uh, in Iran, uh, there is a conservative, a strong conservative element that's actually even in the constitution uh, that opposes any so-called Western influence. Um, I have a friend, uh, Hala Esfandiari, who is an Iranian-American scholar who, um, who, who, who worked to bring our cultures together, who when she went to Iran to visit her aged mother was arrested. Um, and I remember like, you know, um, reading the Iranian constitution uh, as part of that process of trying to get Hala out. And uh, it was clear that, you know, just the idea of trying to have that connection between these cultures was, uh, was, was um, something that was uh, uh, abhorrent to them. Highly opposed. Uh, what's the word? I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, and anyway, there's some word that I can't find, but you understand. And here in the United States, we see the same thing with a lot of conservative forces that believe in American exceptionalism and let's keep them out. And, and our culture is perfect. They have no understanding of how much our culture is based on other cultures. And so- and That's then what's here, so funny about it. And I know I'm going on and on about it, but here we're talking yeah. about 
the influence of Japanese art, but it changed all of Western art. And, and usually when cultures and civilizations take that next step, it's because they've connected and melded and, and, and fused something and built yes. on that. And um, that would be awfully nice to do now. I love that. Yeah. And it's so true. You know, I mean, once you, Americans don't realize, I mean, they don't travel as much as other people usually anyway, but I find that, you know, when, once you go outside of that little lock, another world opens. So every time you, you, you know, you avoid change, you, you stay closed, but you, you look for change and, and it opens up to the next step. And that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. I think, you know, I always wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. So like, you know, I'm getting my little taste in here. It's so good. Cause I, you know, I just love social impact. The, and I love, I love Nazarene. I love her figure. I love, you know, what she represents for women, for LGBTQ, for just everybody. I mean, there's a little piece of her for everybody. And, and that's what's so very special about her. And uh, I did want to talk to you just for a second though. I don't know. Did you want to say anything else? Sorry. You can jump anytime, um, Brent, but Father John, the film in, in, that you did, is it Father John? Joseph. Yeah, Joseph, sorry. Yeah, in Haiti, because that, that really interests me too. Can you, get, can you touch on that for just for a sec? You want to? No, you can do that. Okay. <laughs> oh. that, well, that, why you made that film? Why you said yeah. you want to make that film? Yeah, I, um, I'd done, prior to that, I'd, I'd just done this jazz documentary about uh, Ella Fitzgerald and the influence of 1930s uh, uh, jazz in Harlem and how it sort of uh, really changed a lot of America. Um, and then I'd done this film about Iran called Education Under Fire. And I, I was really thinking about trying to do something that was about economic justice, but also about faith. And I don't know. And sometimes you, know, you just have this strong feeling you want to do something. And then if you're lucky, something comes your way. And I was at this, uh, this meeting of folks and I bumped into this priest that they had brought from Haiti to talk about development in Haiti and it was Father Joseph. And I said, wow, that's really interesting. He was talking about this university he'd founded in the mountains of Haiti. Uh, and um, that led to doing a documentary about Father Joseph's work. And he's this Catholic priest in, uh, from Fondwa, which was actually the epicenter of the earthquake in, in 2010. Uh, and, um, um, and Father Joseph really dedicated his whole life to trying to empower women. And so he was, from, he was the first person educated in his family, uh, but he ended up founding uh, Haiti's largest microfinance bank and just wow. changing, you know, tens of thousands of lives. So uh, when we first met, I was, one of the things I said was, hey, I'm about to go to Haiti. And that, uh, that's a really good line if you're looking for to pick up someone. Well, and then I was right. So and then I got involved with all this. I mean, I was still casting. I, I left Disney and I was at Disney for 16 years and I uh, running the feature casting department there. And then I left in 2011. I went back into my own business. My daughter was still in high school. And um, I, I always wanted to do something else. And like yourself, I love documentaries. I've been going to the Sundance Film Festival for years. And, other, and I always made a point of going to see a few documentaries, even, you know, though my main focus was finding acting talent. I just love documentaries. I was, no matter Me what, too. I would learn something. And um, so I, I ended up going with him to the New York Film Festival with his previous film. And it sort of dawned on me that, uh, 
oh, wait a minute, there's kind of a whole thing, you know, making documentary, you know, it's very hard to make documentary films, as you probably know. I mean, there's, you know, the raising the money and, and all of the things that go in, into trying yep. to get it made. But that, but, you know, it's actually, what's really hard is getting your movie out into the world and getting it seen. And I think a lot, you know, for a lot of filmmakers, what happens is, you know, you expend so much time and energy and everything just getting across the finish line of getting your film made without really a plan for what are you going to do for the film? And, 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 I, and so when I went with him to the New York Film Festival, you know, on the other side of things, you know, as a companion dating, as opposed to, you know, casting director looking at talent, you know, I really got a chance to see, you know, what was gonna to happen to the life of the film. And, and you know, I had, a, I don't know, I guess for being a studio executive for so many years, I've been around all these things, you know, because when, you, when you're an independent casting director, which, and I, and I still cast while I was at Disney, you know, it's just the film and finding the talent. But when you're a studio executive in casting, there's a, many more things, you know, you, you make the budgets and you, yep. you know, you go to see the dailies and, and you, you know, you're really exposed to all these other aspects of filmmaking that I hadn't been before. And so, you know, I kind of got involved really in the beginning of like, you know, this is, we have to look at this as a business and, you know, how are we going to, to sort of, you know, give these films the life that they deserve you know we're so emotionally committed but the film needs the life and and then you know and also the subject matter really interests me because i'm also interested in people who do things in the world that make a difference in the lives of other people you know even at sometimes great expense to themselves or you know at sacrifice i mean yes there there is obviously nazreen but the the women in our marriage Polly Doc and, and terence mcnally you know what the kind of work that he was doing that was very risky but it was transformational, you know, for other people yeah. and um, and not necessarily, you know, brought them a lot of attention, but made changes for others. And I, I really like telling those stories. I think those people who make a difference in the world and have great purpose, you know, they're important. Yeah. And I also feel, you know, and I feel this way about Nazreen, you know, history books are written a lot of times by men. And, uh, you know, women's stories or people's or you know, or white men even, you know, and people's stories don't get told. And yeah. I think for Jeff and, my, Jeff and me, we, we really wanted to be able to give voice to certain people so that their story was going to be told, you know, through their vision and their work. Can I also just brag on Marcia for a second, if I could, because I remember when we were at the New York Film Festival for this doc I did, um, which wasn't well, which did well there but wasn't well served by the infrastructure around it and um we went to this lunch or dinner with a couple other filmmakers uh and marcia was sitting next to me and she was talking to the producer of this other documentary and i just remember having this light bulb go off and say oh my god in in six months she's gonna know more than anybody else because <laughs> she was like asking all the right questions and just pulling it in uh and that's what and i and and she's just a phenomenal producer on sort of every level, you know, financial, creative, social, everything. Um, well, it's true. And um, yeah, and but it also just shows, I think, what others can do too, which is that, yeah. uh, you know, if you um, want to take those risks and you can pull in uh, from others, there's not a lot stopping you. I just thought really while you guys, were, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Brent. I was going to say, I was really impressed that you that you were able to bring uh, Olivia Coleman on board as your yeah. uh, narrator. Can you tell us a little bit about how she got involved in the project? Well, the, you know, the thing about being a casting director for so long is that, you know, I still have a lot of relationships with people. 
But that's only because you, I'm just going to say one more thing, which is a lot of executives, when they leave their position, no one ever wants to talk to them again. And so it was also because in your job, you always treated people right. So they would still talk to you when you were no longer in that job. And I was also casting for seven years after I left Disney. I had my own, I only stopped casting in, in 2017 because we were spending so much time traveling and it was getting to be ridiculous, you know, driving around the mountains of Haiti, you know, with, you know, with an iPad trying to watch auditions. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, in the backseat of a bumpy van, but, um, but, but I, you know, I've kept a lot of relationships just because I'm that kind of person. And so when we were deciding, you know, we really wanted to have some, a narrator of some kind of, you know, stature. Um, and I, I, I put a list together of people and, you know, obviously Olivia Coleman really just was like, you couldn't imagine. And then what, but she wasn't initially, so I just reached out to her representation and, you know, and she wasn't available, but then somebody said, we'll just try. And then Jeff wrote a really beautiful letter as he always does, he does his homework. And he knew that Olivia had, a, had been very involved in a lot of human rights activities. I mean, she's very active in the human rights world actually. And so, you know, we, we wrote a letter and through the letter, I was able to, you know, get the letter seen by her agents in London and they sent it over and, you know, 48 hours later, they called and said, she wants to do it. She just needs to, she can get cleared from, you know, the crown, you know, to do it. And then she did it. And, and then fortunately, I'll tell you two little things. One, I always say like, you know, as a casting director, when you're doing this for other people, you know, I was, you know, my motto was, you know, casting is the, is the solution, not the problem. And I was always, you know, the voice of reason and comfort and everything. So, you know, I know the realities of, but I know the realities of people saying yes and no to things. And when you're producing and casting for yourself, it's much because of those realities, I, I couldn't sleep. I was so anxious until it was all incredible, until it was worked out. I, I can't even tell, I really was so anxious because I, I knew what could or could not happen. And she was someone we really, really wanted for our film. And it was so incredible. And what was really incredible was she'd been on holiday with her family and she had to, come home and, and do like PR. So she went on holiday, she came home and she did PR. And then she had one day off, which was, you know, she had fittings for season four because on the Monday she was going back. So she, wow. Friday she had fittings, Monday she was starting season four. Of The Crown. Of The, the Crown. Crown. And literally we sent a car for her, you know, at one o'clock, she arrived at the studio in London at two. Jeff worked with her for three hours, car went home and and then during the thing her husband called at about 2 30 says where are you we're, we're, we're having we were supposed to have lunch with my mother today or i think you know so and she was she, she did this she just did this and you know and the nicest the nicest most incredible person and she fit us in and like the one afternoon off that she had you know it was such an incredible gift yeah. to be given and also we might say an incredible gift that we were given uh, for the untitled song by the marvelous composers. Let's talk about that in a second. Yeah. I just want to say, what, are we allowed to swear on these podcasts or should yeah. I censor? Yeah, no, no. I can use any, can I use yes. the F word? Can I use the F word? You can definitely <laughs> use the F word. I'll censor it, but you can fill in the gaps. So we're, we're working with with uh, with uh, Olivia, and it's it's you know there's the engineer and me and and the board and then a glass. Uh, 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 screen and then she's on the other side of the screen and you know you go through it and you do it a whole bunch of times and you cut it all together later and all that stuff but um at, at one point she's just working her way through and she reads some letter that Nazreen or something comment that Nazreen made and she's got you know the, the paper here and all of a sudden and I could see her through the booth you know and all of a sudden she puts out her paper she goes 
holy F, that's an amazing woman. Oh, and then wow. I get composer going and then she goes back to reading. And I just thought, I love that. That's just yeah. amazing. You yeah, know, the fact that they could come together across so much is and, just and Nazarene yeah. was so pleased. You know, when she when she heard it, I you know it's you have that instinct about why you want somebody to do it, and I think ultimately when we really heard it, you know, all together, she's so on some level. Even though I mean, you know, she doesn't speak Farsi, she lives in another country, English accent. She, you know, she's so on some level emotionally for us embodied Nazarene in some way. You know, even though it, you know, she's not Nazarene. It was incredible. I mean, I think that's. You know, that's one, that is, I mean, she's so gifted, Olivia Coleman, and I think in the way that she's able to convey, you know, strength and vulnerability at the same time is, you know, a great gift that she's got. Absolutely. Well, and the timing couldn't have been better, too, with the way her career has taken off over the past couple of years as well. I mean, between her Oscar and the television role and everything, I mean... Uh, she's just exploded over the past couple of years. We hope that she gives us credit for casting her in our documentary. He's joking. <laughs> I know he is. I know he is. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're going to be talking about her next week in The Father. I mean, it's going to be great. The, I, I had to start when you were talking, Jeff, and, and maybe you guys can talk just, and I don't know why it came to me, but like we, we interviewed um, the widow of John Gellerman last week. And, and I thought, you know, a, a, a documentary director and a, big blockbuster director and what do you guys sit at separate tables when you go to these events like you know is there a, a hierarchy or do they just think yeah we're filmmakers we're just well, creative it's the age of covid so there are no tables uh, no i know i know but you know what i mean the virtual um, you know i mean if you're at the new york film festival or like a tribeca with our last uh, film uh, you go back and forth. Um, and I think hopefully we can both learn from each other. There's just so many, and you know, there's so many great films to, to learn from uh, over time. Uh, yeah. And so it's not just the blockbusters of today or the small indies of today. Uh, I hope that people will uh, explore great films of the past as well. I think too, though, I think in the years, you know, that I've been working with Jeff on docs, you know, the last eight years, the, um, it, it, the business has changed a lot. I mean, it is, I think, you know, with the streamers and things, it's really changed a lot. And the documentary world's changed a lot, you know, in terms of the attention and, you know, the energy. I mean, just look at the Academy Awards now, yeah, yeah. you know, that, you know, the, you know, these places, uh, the, the Netflix and this, they're, they're putting just as much money or a lot of money now into getting nominations for documentaries as they as they did for uh you know live action and now how so many films are now like three of i think three of the five documentaries are from other countries now you know too so and you know there's a, there's a lot more interest in, in documentaries than there has that way than there's ever been before and i think one of the the knocks i would make on a lot of contemporary films is that there's a lot of talent for filmmakers i'm talking about narrative films a lot of talent for filmmakers but those filmmakers are not necessarily drawing from real life like you know the generation of say ben hecht they were reporters in chicago and so they had real life to draw on and their stories were rooted in in yeah. you know the crazy characters they knew in their in, in real life and i think a lot of filmmakers sadly um, are three or fourth generation watching TV shows and other movies. And so the storytelling comes out of that experience, not out of really being in the world. But interestingly enough, this year, we have a number of really powerful films like Nomadland and Minori uh, that um, are, are also rooted in this sense of realism. Yeah. Uh, the sound of metal, too. I mean, that metal. just feels yeah. like, you know, you just feel... 
you know, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. We, we reviewed that last week. It was or a couple of weeks ago. It was excellent. Oh, excellent oh, movie. Was extraordinary. He's a wonderful actor. We want to make sure they're on the right side of Brent's, you know, uh, uh, good movie list. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, well, definitely, I mean, you're hitting all our, all our tops. <laughs> humanity, you know, because, because people relate to humanity. I mean, people, they do. You know, yeah. What people are as human beings is very, very interesting. Can yeah. You know, when, when I started the, the I'm sorry. We only yeah. have like a minute left, and I wondered if I could we can talk about whatever we want. We can stay. Well, I just wanted. Want. I don't have a. I'm my own I, person. Nobody owns. I, you, you, I just have to say you're great, and the fact that you picked up on the Japanese connection to floating world pictures, you know, gets you a Nazarene T-shirt. Uh, okay. But um, I, I just want to go back to the fact that um, you know Nazarene right now is on a temporary leave from prison because of no ruse. It's the, it's the uh, Iranian New Year. But there are so many political prisoners in Iran and yeah. around the world who need our attention. Uh, I was just reading about um, uh, this uh, political prisoner, uh, Amadreza Dejali, uh, who we've talked about before. Uh, he's uh, an Iranian uh, Swedish scientist who had gone to Iran in 2017. He's a, he's a medical disaster expert. And he'd gone to Iran many times. And he was invited to this conference to talk about disaster medicine in Iran. And he got arrested while he was there. They said he was a spy for the Israelis, which is just God. And he's been held in solitary confinement for a hundred days. They have a light on his room at all times so he can never sleep. Uh, he's sentenced to death and he's wasting away in this tiny cell uh, in, in the Sounds prison. like the Mauritanian, doesn't it, Brent? I was just gonna yeah. say, it just, I mean, that movie, yeah. that again, you know, I thought his performance was amazing because you really feel what that must really be like. Yes, and that, that's a wonderful film. Uh, but I'm just saying that there's so many people who need our attention right now. Yep. This is very real, um, and, and um, that's what Nazreen is about, trying to make a real in a very personal way yeah. um, one champion of human rights whose life is at risk. Uh, and if we can get her out of prison, it's not just changing her life, but it can, it can be transformative for her country. Yeah. And if it's transformative for her country, it can be transformative for the world. And so we hope that people will care about Nazreen and others like her and get involved because um, it is movies, but it's also life. Yep. And it couldn't be more important. Yes, absolutely. Here, here. I, you know, yes. <laughs> yes to all of it. The, you know, I, when I started the Good Radio Network, I, I had taken a year off and, and I, I didn't know, I wasn't feeling it. And, and I said, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And I had this download from, you know, the universe and it said, go find one person who's making a difference. And because people would just say, well, what can I do? I'm only one person. And I'm like, one person can make a huge difference. And when I saw, I saw an, uh, a commercial for the Global Goals, United, United Nations Global Goals, and I thought, yeah, you know, we can start to do, in, invite people who are intimately helping those global goals. You know, we've got, we've got, you know, those 18 or 19 goals now. And, and I mean, every country in the world, except for one, said, yes, we're in. And, and you know, we're coming up to their time limit on, the, on those, you know, years. And, and I'm thinking, this is, this is one of them, you know, violence against women and, and all of that stuff is part of the United Nations global goals. And how can people vote against that? And how can, how can we help them, you know, meet those goals? And so I think when, you know, you, you meet a, a Nazarene, there's one person who's making a huge difference. It's like, you know, if you think a mosquito can't be, you know, be in, be in a room with that kind of thing, can't make a difference. So, all of these these films that you do and all of these 
you know, people that you focus on are more than one. They're like magnetized, mag, you know, magnified by thousands when people can, can, you know, perspective can see that and go, oh, I can see me there now, mm -hmm. or I can see somebody else and I get it. So thank you for, for making these films. Oh. oh, well, you're welcome. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the purpose of life is having a purpose. And, you know, for us, it's, you know, it's, it gives our lives a lot of meaning. And, and I think, you know, I mean, each one of these films has been life-changing for me in different ways. I mean, you can imagine, as you know, I've met a lot of very interesting people yes. over my course of my career and been involved in a lot of interesting projects. And, and I'm very thrilled and honored to have had that life experience. But meeting people completely outside my personal experience doing things that you know in this selfless way it, it it's really something it definitely is okay well i guess we're on time now <laughs> jeff unless you had something else you want to say I know. I, can i mention one other thing too before yeah. we go which is that you know one of the things that's been really important is this impact campaign that we have that we've been having that we started in october yep. you know we realized that as wonderful as film festivals are, you know, they're not the same as impact events because people are always rushing off to the next movie and we wanted the film to, you know, have an impact and address what you're just talking about. How can we make a difference? And so, you know, so we've had quite a lot of wonderful impact events all over the world across the United States. We just had one in Canada this past week. We spoke before the European Parliament. So, nice. you know, also if people visit our website and they want to host an impact event, you know, bring it to their organization, you know, that's also very useful because it, it that, you know, people put out statements and there are people that care about this subject matter. And so then they do take actions. And, and so again, it's on our website if you wish, if people wish to do that. And what is that website, Marcia? Oh, it's www www.nazarenefilm.com there we go nazarenefilm.com nazarenefilm.com we will put a big big block letters did you have anything you'd like to add before we go yeah i was going to say and in addition to uh websites uh my review of nazarene will be posted on my website www.brentmarchant.com probably tomorrow awesome. oh wonderful that's so exciting Thank you so much. Um, I have to say, you, you both have been just great. Um, it's such a nice conversation, and uh, we appreciate where your hearts are. And um, no, it's great because you know we've been doing them, and you know it, it's after a while you feel like, oh, you're just saying, you know, you have to be careful. You don't want to say the same things over and over I know. again. I mean, there are some very specific questions, and you have to you answer them. But I think we, you touched on so many. Good well, things. I don't. I don't watch other people's interviews before I interview, and I don't use questions that people send me. So. I just do my own thing. And I, I find that it's a little more interesting for you if you don't have to go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay. I know the answers to everything. Like it's just for everybody involved. I just admit that I'm just going to say goodbye, Facebook. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us. Thank okay. you so much. There we go.